You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony. I'm speaking with Lori R. King. Her newest book is The Language of Bees. Thank you for joining me, Lori. Oh, thank you. Lori, I, I wanted to talk to you about the importance of cities in mystery fiction, because often we'll find that cities are, are almost characters in the books that they uh, exist in. Oh, yeah. I think that the, in, in a lot of novels, the location, whether it's a city or a country, um, defines the book and, and steps up to the plate when it comes to playing a role. Um, I was trying to remember because I I use mostly um, San Francisco in in current times and London in the 20s, but I also did a book that was a sort of science fiction futuristic novel where uh, in a a post-apocalyptic world, um, Chinatown has become San Francisco and it's taken over by the Chinese community. Called it, they call it Beijing. So, yes, the the it's it's interesting working in an existing city and location, but you put your own stuff onto it. Do you think that when uh, somebody like Raymond Chandler or yourself in San Francisco, when you create those cities as part of a, a mystery novel or as part of the mystery genre, do you think that those cities are realistically created, or do you create them in a manner that uh, obviously would would help the writing of your book. Well, as you say, obviously. Uh, yeah, you you have to pick and choose. Uh, if you're writing a, a story about the seamy underside, you're not going to have, you know, a park with the children playing. You have to uh, you have to choose what area you're working in and what time of day and the climate and all the rest of it. Um, which I think probably is why a city is such a satisfying thing for a for a crime writer because you can find pretty much any face you're looking for i mean chandler's looking for one thing dashiell hammett found a similar vein running through um, san francisco he felt very at home there and um, you know when i when i'm working in san francisco i am looking for areas of the city that go with whatever part of the book I'm working on. So that, for example, um, I think in, in the last book, um, The Art of Detection, the characters have moved into a state of considerable stability in family life. And therefore, the part of town that they live in is now an area that is a, a family part of town. Um, at, whereas in... Uh, in the section of that book that is set in an earlier time in San Francisco, um, you have a historical setting of a much grittier part of town. <laughs> it's it's a part of town where it would not be unlikely to find a transvestite bar. So yeah, you you definitely pick and choose in the cities, um, the areas that you're looking at and the flavor that you're looking at and. If there's, you know, if there's something that doesn't quite go in the area that you need it to, you know, it's fiction. 
<laughs> you can just remove, you know, if there's, if there's some very lovely, you know, daycare center stuck in an area, just just remove it. It's okay. Could you talk about uh, creating a city as a, as literally as a character in a novel? It's, I mean, it's hard to, it's hard to consider it a character because normally characters come and go in the scenes. Um, whereas the city is in the background of all the scenes. So that instead of, um, instead of having a, having it act, having it interact with the others, um, it's it's more like the mood music in the background or um, someone who's in the scene but whose presence is only noticed by um, the very careful watcher. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Now, <laughs> uh, could you maybe describe to me what you feel are the aspects of cities chosen by hard-boiled writers and how they express that in their writing and how they describe the cities? It's tough to write hard-boiled in a small town. So mostly hard-boiled tends to be in big cities where you get a concentration of crime and grime and um, the anonymity that you need in a noir novel. Um, When you're writing something noir, you really need to have very few points of humanity in it. You need to sense that your main characters are the only real people in this universe, and the rest of the place is not terribly friendly, which, as I say, is hard hard to get in a a village. Now, um, when you're... Uh, creating a, a cityscape background for, for a noir fiction. Could you talk about um, one of the things that, that I think mysteries do really well is they will use the city uh, as something to explore, um, to explore the various parts of the city. This is kind of a- an aspect of, of the utility of the detective as a character who can re- literally go anywhere. Well, the the cities that they're exploring, of course, are are aspects of the crime and the and the detective as well. Um, so that when hmm, Harry Bosch goes from one part of Los Angeles where the rich people live to another part of Los Angeles where there are warehouses, um, this is a way of underlining the personality of the victim, for one thing, that they had contacts in these various parts of the city, and also the way that the victim is having an effect on the investigator, Um, that it's making someone like Harry Bosch or a Raymond Chandler character um, look at how they feel about the very rich and how they feel about the people who live um, behind the warehouses in cardboard boxes. Um, In that way, the city is an ideal place because it gives you a very broad spectrum to draw on. When uh, writers are creating these kind of, exploring this broad spectrum, um, could you talk about how uh, the 
you know, the weather, how they will use weather, how they can use um, crowds and events that happen in the city to um, shade the events and and affect the both the plot and the perceptions of the of the characters in it. I find that it's very difficult not to write cliche when it comes to weather. That is, if um, if you are having a difficult part in the um, in the investigation, if the if the investigator is stuck, if they're depressed, um, it's it's hard to envision the scene other than in rain at night. Um, so you have to be aware of the weather. I mean, certainly you have to be careful that you're not writing cliché, that you're not just taking the easy way and making everything dreary and rainy or everything bright and sunny when, uh, when you know, your investigator is taking a day off with their small child. <laughs> it's it's one, of those, uh, one of those tricky areas that you have to just stand back and look and see what you're doing. Um, when uh, writers uh, create, uh, um, write noirs set in real cities, um, they can key off of real events that have happened there and, and real landmarks. Now, um, could you talk about keying off those landmarks and, and using those as you know plot points and maybe um, also talk about have, hasn't there been any uh, well-known noirs or hard-boiled detective novels set in cities that don't exist? You're asking me as a historian of fiction, and I really couldn't tell you. Um, I'm sure. I'm sure that um, that question would be answered yes in two ways. That is, um, there must be books out there that, that the city is not specified, although probably the writer had a specific area in mind. But to some extent, the city that goes into a book. It's not the actual city that you would find if you just got off the bus there. Um, to some extent, all writers, whether they're noir or cozy, reshape the city to their own needs. And um, certainly, certainly, I do that in most of the things that I that I've written that are set in cities. Um, sometimes you're working very close to real life so that if you um, if you open the book you can use it as a guidebook uh, not really recommended <laughs> but, but in some in some sometimes you can um, other times I find it very helpful just to um, make something up that might as well be true I mean you have to remember Rick that we, we tell lies for a living so we do it fairly well I have a scene in a park in one of the early Russells, um, where they have to trace the the villain down through um, through the walks and through the the restroom where the villain is, you know, washed his or her hands, um, and I have had people write to me and say, "I was at that park," <laughs> Com- completely overlooking the fact that that particular park I made up. So. What you want to do is evoke a sense that 
this is a very familiar part of London or New York or wherever you're setting it, that you might have seen it because there are many parks like this or there are many uh, warehouse districts just like this. And sometimes it helps to put in precise streets um, and hope that you don't get letters from people saying, you know, that's really a one-way street and you couldn't have gone down it that way, which does happen. But, um, but other times it helps to leave things a little bit general. When I'm writing, I tend to I tend to not name specifics if um, I'm making things up. And if I give a road na name or a city name, um, I tend to be to use that as an arrow that, okay, Laurie's working fairly close to reality here. When um, writers make things up, when they create parts of, of cities and, and when, it, when they lie to us, um, that's a kind of an interesting thing for a writer to be doing in a mystery novel because we're trying to find out the truth. So how, could you talk about uh, trying to discover the truth in a city that is a farrago of lies? You, you never let facts get in the way of the truth, Rick. Come on now. <laughs> um, no, I, I think that I think most readers understand the contract that they have with the writer. That is, the the story comes first, and if it is not convenient to have a particular park in this part of town, um, you you move it. If an event needs to be six months later for the sake of the plot, you move it. Generally speaking, most of us now we'll make a note in the afterward or, or wherever to say, um, yeah, I know that that took place in March rather than November. Um, that's okay. Because otherwise you get letters from people saying, don't you know <laughs> when that happened? So we, we generally point out where we've taken liberties with, with facts, not the truth, with facts. Now, that's an interesting <laughs> distinction, Laurie. <laughs> um, could you talk about um, how the using the architecture of the city and how sometimes the architecture of the city might reflect the architecture of the plot and discovering a plot inside a city? I mean, when you look at San Francisco, it might suggest, well, gosh, this kind of crime happens here. When you look at Los Angeles, you might say, wow, here's Los Angeles. That's this kind of crime takes place in Los Angeles. I think any type of crime can take place in Los Angeles, <laughs> yes. Um, well, certainly the architecture of the various districts reflects the kind of crime that you would tend to be looking for there. So that taking San Francisco, um, the financial district is tall and clean and um, impersonal. Um, and those are the kinds of crimes that normally, I mean, I'm talking about just fact-based. You can find corpses anywhere. But if you're looking at financial crimes, at money-based crimes, that's where you would tend to look for them in the, that kind of area. Whereas if you're looking for drug-related crimes, um, that would be a very di different area in San Francisco. Um, and speaking fictionally, of course. I mean, you, you can find drug crimes in the financial district with no problem. Um, but you can make use of, for example, those tall skyscrapers that loom over the financial district um, 
to infuse that particular part of the story with um, the cold, shadowed sensation of being among skyscrapers. Um, whereas if you're writing a story that has someone who, you know, was the victim of a, of a drive-by shooting through gangs, um, that district that you're writing in would tend to be much more, in the British, British word, homely, that is, uh, homey. Um, it, you would get the sensation that people actually live there. Well, that's an interesting thought uh, because, you know, when we think of the city, we think of it being full of people, but not necessarily many people live in cities. I mean, actually, you know, spend a lot of Well, some there. districts are, are, you know, they just empty out at night. Right, right. Well, that's, uh, and that, that's, an, that's an interesting observation that, that people might not. Cities are full of people, but maybe not full of life or full of homes. And then that's a kind of an interesting contrast that, that might play on the noir sensibility. Mm. Yeah, areas like like that, areas that are heavy of business during the day, um, are quite spooky at night. That's <laughs> that's true. <laughs> um, could you talk uh, uh, as a um, mystery writer yourself? Could you talk about um, creating, uh, looking at a at a place, and how you yourself uh, go about? describing a, a, a city to enhance or to accentuate uh, aspects of the plot and the characters you're describing? Well, again, it would, it would depend on what, um, what that part of the book is about. If, um, if I'm writing a scene about um, how my character is reflecting on the home life of um, her victim... Um, I would probably use the opportunity of um, her trip out to the, the Golden Gate Park with her child or something like that, um, that it would be a way of working those thoughts and meditations in with her action and underscoring what's going on. Um, if... You know, if I were writing something that had to do with politics, I might put it in that area um, where City Hall is in San Francisco um, because that's such a very interesting mixture of, you know, the homeless people, the library, and the politicians all right there, um, and, and the theater district, uh, I mean, the the... the you know, the big opera house. So it's a fascinating way of looking at these completely unrelated cross-sections of San Francisco um, within a few hundred yards of each other. Now, a, a lot of uh, science fiction and fantasy writers are exploring, you know, cities that they've created in science fiction and fantasy worlds and, and using those as, as settings for a kind of hard-boiled uh, stories, detective stories, and, and you've you've written science fiction. So, so could you talk about when you what happens to the mystery genre when you set a, a essentially a noir plot and characters in a city that's entirely uh, created from whole cloth? 
Well, of course, it gives you the opportunity of making it <clears throat> exaggeratedly um, dark and unpleasant. Um, I, I mean, I'm I'm sort of thinking of Michael Shaben's um, Yiddish Policeman's Union. His Sitka is not the Sitka that you'll you'll find, you know, on the coast of Alaska. Um, it's it's a much darker, more modern place um, than than Sitka is. I mean, he uses the landscape, but he puts his own city into it based on a different um, thread of history, as it were. <laughs> if if events had occurred. Um, in a different way, you know, 50 years ago, this Sitka might look like that. Um, it, I find um, making cities up out of whole cloth works best when you use the landmarks, when you use the physical layout of San Francisco, for example, if you're riding Meijing, um, the way it rides on the, on the hills and the possibility of putting up a wall, for example, um, around the city, that when you're driving up there, you can see, ah, that's where it would be. This is this is where, if I if I were walling in this city, that's where I'd put it. Um, it's, you know, it just takes looking at a place with different eyes and saying, okay, if I stripped this down to nothing and built it up again, how would I do it? Which certainly for San Francisco would wouldn't be a bad idea. I mean, that, that city was built in really, really very strange ways. <laughs> on the on the ruins of sunken ships. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's just odd, odd, and I mean, you 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 really there's no way of making San Francisco logical. They they had a chance after the earthquake and fire of restoring it to something resembling a grid, and instead of that, they just built right on top of the old completely, you know, unrelated sections of town that butted up against each other. You know, I mean, Market Street, why, why have a diagonal that runs through town like that? Why, why do you do these things? Well, it, it strikes me when, when you describe San Francisco that you're describing a city that in some ways is more fantastic than something somebody might make up. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I knew who... No, no one would build build San Francisco in fiction. It would, your, your your editor would say, "Really, this is stretching reality too far." You know, <laughs> a, a park with a panhandle. I mean, you know, chopping through there, and it's miles from downtown. Why would you have a park miles from downtown? Look at Central Park. Why would you put that? You know, it's like moving it out to Jersey. <laughs> I've been speaking with Lori King. Her newest book is *The Language of Bees*. Thank you for joining me, Lori. Thanks, Rick. You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony.